Hey, this is Pastor Austin from Overcome Church, and this is our podcast. I'm so thankful that you've joined us today, and I hope that this blesses you, encourages you, builds your faith, and gives you new perspective for the day. Um, it's no secret, we live in a fast-paced world. Everything is pick-up-and-go for the most part. If you get the privilege to slow down at all, typically it's because, well, you're retired or you're injured and can't necessarily move quick. Um, It seems like the whole world's got so much to do and little time to do it in. Some stats on that. On average, the majority of people would say that they feel unaccomplished at the end of five of the seven days we get in a week. Would you agree? I mean, you don't have to, but... I would almost agree. Like I, I, I all the time feel like I haven't got enough done or that I could have been more productive than I was. Um, research suggests that, on, or that an individual's uh, perceived level of busyness is heavy or heavily connected to their feelings of self-worth. Sorry, that was word salad there. Uh, research suggests that an individual's perceived level of business, or busyness is heavily connected to their feeling of self-worth, as well as to how others view their status. And so obviously, you know, imposter syndrome has things to play with that. Uh, How you view yourself has uh, things uh, to play in that, so on and so forth. These facts lead to uh, things like, and I know we're kind of moving quickly into this idea, but these facts, uh, for the most part, in this generation at least, from the year 2020, actually 2019, research, uh, my research, I can't say the word, research uh, showed me all the way up to today, these facts have been consistent leading to depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide even, and other mental and physical problems. Um, <clears throat> and so more times than not, there is a downward spiral that takes place in the person, uh, the human being, Uh, where fear, depression, and anxiety result in compounding bad decisions. Um, And it is surely that downward spiral. Maybe you've heard this faithful saying before, the world doesn't stop for anyone. I see it a lot when I go to the hospital to visit someone who's dying. The world didn't stop for that person. I leave the hospital... And I noticed that cars are still speeding down the road. People are still rushing to get to where they need to go. The sun will set tonight, and it will rise in the morning. The world doesn't stop for anyone. It can be somebody's worst day ever, and the world won't stop. It can be somebody's best day ever, and the world won't stop. To find relief, some have looked to the bottle or substances Uh, Some look to the attention of another, uh, and some may even find rest in maybe binge-watching some Netflix or a movie, um, or playing video games if you play video games. I don't know. Nowadays, 74-year-old men are playing video games. You don't believe me? Look at YouTube. YouTube is true. Um, Hopefully, when things look a little shaky for you, though, you find rest in God's Word and His promises, and that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight, as you traverse through this life, there are bound to be many challenges, lessons learned through trial and error, and maybe even tragedy. These things are inevitable. These things you cannot see coming most of the time. But 
there are some principles that we can place on our belief systems, on our perspective. There's some principles that we can um, uh, ingest tonight, if you will, that will help us um, get through things like this, even the unexpected. I think even though this is the case, God wants you to know tonight that you can overcome and find yourself triumphant in this life by living on the rest. That's what I want to talk about tonight. If you're writing anything down, write that down. Living on the rest. I want you to know that I'm super excited to share this with you. Um, God has been just, I'm going to tell you church, I've, I've been having church in my office downstairs. Like it's been crazy in there. I bet if you walked in there right now, you would like feel the thickness of the Holy Spirit in that place because I'm telling you, God has been doing a work I know in me through His Word as I've been studying and He's been showing me some things. And so I just want to show you this from the Bible tonight. I want to give this to you and hopefully it means something to you. Maybe it shapes your faith. Maybe it helps you in whatever circumstance you may find yourself in. Or maybe it gives you the tools you need for the circumstance you're walking into. Who knows? But let's dive into it. The idea of living on the rest implies that there has been an action step or steps that you've taken to get you to this place of being able to go forward into the rest of what is to come. Today, I want to give you four action steps uh, to get you to the rest of what's to come. So let's learn from somebody that I think could tell us a lot about what we're trying to think about today. Look at 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. The Bible says this, Now a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. So she's a widow. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. He was a man of God. And the creditor, they were in debt, has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, the prophet of God, What shall I do for you? Or what do you want me to do? Tell me. What do you have in your house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow containers some uh, elsewhere for yourself. Empty containers from all of your neighbors. Do not get too few. Underline that part right there. Do not get too few. That's a good part. Then you shall come in and shut the door. Somebody say, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour into all these containers, and you shall set aside what is full. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. So she left, sorry, so she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They began bringing the containers to her, and she poured the oil. When the containers were full, she said to her son, bring me another container. But he said to her, there are no more containers. Then the oil stopped. So she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons can, y'all help me here, live on the rest. This section of Scripture is so eye-opening to me, just because of the way God moves in this moment. This woman is in a moment of tragedy. No doubt she's uh, dealing with a bunch of fear and anxieties. The, uh, the creditor is coming to collect on the debt, and in, in, 
in return, instead of getting the debt paid for, uh, he's taking her children because she can't pay the debt and he's going to make them slaves and she can't do anything about it. She has nothing but a little bit of oil left. Just a little bit of oil. That was it. And so the prophet of God says, take the oil and set it to the side. Get ready because God is about to do something. And then he says, go out and borrow jars from all of your neighbors, but don't just get a few. And so they go and get the empty jars. I can imagine her thought process uh, being that this request is kind of radical. I do say so myself. Um, I bet that they were thinking, I wonder why I'm going to collect empty, uh, empty jars. Um, then they go to collect the empty jars. They get it. They come in the house. They begin to pour the oil, the little bit of oil, into the empty jars. I can, again, imagine that the thought process in doing so is like, okay, this is kind of stupid. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of radical here. But they begin to pour. And as they poured, the jar filled up. And then they brought another jar. And she poured in faith again, and the jar filled up. And then they brought another jar. And then she poured in faith again, and the jar, you guessed it, filled up. And then another jar, and another jar, and another jar, until she called for her sons to bring another jar, and they said, there are no more. And all the jars were filled from this little bit of oil. It was a miracle. And so what happened uh, as a result was they were able to pay the debt and live on the rest. I want to talk about living on the rest today. I got four action steps, I think, uh, that will help us apply this to our life uh, while we learn from uh, the hand of God that moved upon this widow's life. First thing, if you want to write any of this down, is faith. It's simple. Faith to start moving in the direction of the Lord. Whatever the Lord says, I'm going to do it. I have faith that He knows what He's doing in me. Look at what the, uh, the prophet said. You don't have to go back. We can just rehash here. Go borrow empty containers. Kind of ridiculous here. If you want empty containers, i got bunches because I have nothing left to my name. Go borrow empty containers. First thing that you have to have in order to um, go forward or live on the rest is faith. You have to have faith to start moving in the direction the Lord leads you, regardless of what the direction looks like. If He said it, I believe it. What does Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 say about faith? Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. It is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. In other words, faith is in me the certainty of what I've been praying for. Oh, I need the Lord to do a work in my life. I have faith that He will, so I'm certain and I'm dependent on His answer. I'm certain and I'm dependent upon His ability. Secondly, is obedience. Faith translates to obedience. Faith spurs obedience. When you have faith in God that He is able to move and work and, and, and um, be present in your current circumstance, you will then 
obey his commands, right? Obviously, if you have faith that he is present with you and goes with you and is in the fire with you, or he's walking with you through the valley, or he's on the mountains with you, regardless, if he goes with us and you have faith, you believe you are certain that God is with us, God is with you, then uh, that's going to equate to your obedience to his command. Whatever he directs you, in, you're going to obey. You're going to trust. You're going to believe. You're going to know that he, uh, what he says is trustworthy and that you can uh, depend upon his direction. You'll obey. It's persistence and determination to go all the way. Somebody say all the way. All the way, even if it seems radical. See, here's the problem, church. This is what we all face on a day-to-day basis. We got enough faith to step in the door, but we don't have enough faith sometimes to step through the door and then go sit at the table. We're going through a study in our the best small group here at Overcome Church. Uh, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm, I'm almost through with the book already. We've not even started in on the lessons. And I want you to know, if you've not read the book, Get it now and read it now. It is monumental to your faith and it's everything I'm talking about right now because this is what will happen. Like I said, we got enough faith to step through the threshold of the door. But sometimes we don't have enough faith to, somebody say it with me, go all the way. Go all the way. Even when it seems a little radical. I want you to know, Christian, God will call you to do radical things, things that are not necessarily normal. He chooses the foolish things of the world to bring glory to Him. And sometimes it seems foolish to go get some empty jars when you know you only have a quarter of a jar at home. What am I going to do with these empty jars? Well, that's when faith and obedience takes uh, its first steps. Remember, He said don't get too few. Some of us Have faith to trust in God's promises. We'll even take the first step into the door. But we fall when we can't believe and trust that God is able to give us the abundance that He's always been talking about. Don't get too few. 1 Peter 1, verse 14 starts in and says this, As obedient children, as what? Obedient children. Y'all help me here. As obedient children. Children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Amen. It's obedient. It's not being uh, greater than the next man. It's not being uh, what some would say holier than thou. Being holy because God is holy means for you to be set apart because God has set Himself apart for you. So you should set yourself apart for Him. In other words, following uh, Him, obeying Him in faith, even sometimes when it seems a little radical. On the last day, march around these walls seven times. And when you're through, shout. That's radical. Friends, to go as far as to dig a hole through the roof and move timbers out of the way to lower you down, it's radical. Sometimes, 
God will ask you to do radical things. And it's up to you to not get too few or to not diminish the ability or the calling of God. To not cast down what God has promised you. Don't we do that sometimes? Some of you may be called to lead in a ministry. Maybe you took the tests over the past week, uh, the, the spiritual gifts test and the uh, personality test, and you've been feeling the presence of the Lord really urging you inside, the Spirit of God urging you to lead in a ministry or maybe take part in something that is outside of your norm or your regular day-to-day practice. Maybe you've been influenced by the Holy Spirit to read your Bible more lately or 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 pray more, but something in you, maybe this uh, creeping doubt comes in and you begin to to, to kind of almost become a professional excuse maker. You ever met one of those? Somebody that will create an excuse to not do something just because? I'll tell you, working in the construction industry, you find a bunch of those. Any excuse, I knew somebody one time, and I'm glad this isn't online, but because I don't want him to feel like I'm bashing him. I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just using him as an example. But any time on the construction crew, we worked on exteriors, You'd feel just a little drop of rain. Oh, it's raining. We got to go home. We can't work the rest of the day. Professional excuse maker. I'm going to tell you what. It was anything and, any, uh, anything and everything that he could do to get off work that day. I feel like sometimes that is us. We get too few when God has called us to grab the abundance. Thirdly is trust. So we have faith that translates to obedience. Obedience fleshed out displays trust. Church, we got to shut the door to the devil's distractions and trust that God knows what He's doing in us. Look at what the prophet said again. Shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into all these containers. Again, this is a big leap of faith here. This is a big um, uh, display of trust. Could you imagine? This bit of oil. It'd be like this. Let me show you. This is oil. Anointing anointing oil. It would be like me taking that and then if this was empty, filling a case of these with this. If Rick McNulty came to me and said, Austin, I want you to take this, and God said that you got to fill a case worth of these bottles with the oil that's in this, you know how I would look at Rick McNulty? Like he's crazy, like he's lost his marbles. That could have been the kind of exchange right here. Could you imagine? Shut the door, though, to the devil's distraction. Sometimes when God calls you to be obedient in faith, when faith translates to obedience, and that obedience causes you to do something that may seem a little radical, sometimes you got to let the trust that God 
the, the trust that you have in God that He knows what He's doing in you. He's the great I Am. He's the Father. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the Almighty. He's the beginning and the end. So if all these are true, and I have faith to believe that, and I obey that, then I can have the trust to know and believe that I have to shut the door to the enemy and just act in faith. i got to do it. I just got to do it. I just got to step into it. I just got to um, just, just go head first into it. Regardless. Because the devil's going to try and work you up. The devil's trying to trip you up. Any moment you step out in faith, haven't you noticed we've said it a lot since we started the prayer initiative, since all of us started reading the whole Bible together for this year, since all of us got a little more realer in faith, haven't you seen the devil trying to trip you up? Haven't you seen the devil trying to do some work? Of course he has. He's a punk. He's trying everything he can. But guess what? He can't stop what the Lord is doing when the believer walks in faith and obedience, trusting that God knows what He's doing. That deserved an amen. Shut the door to the devil's distraction. You got dominion over that. You got the power. God has placed in you the power to resist the devil. And you know what He... You know what he does when, when you actually resist him? He says, well, this battle's lost today. I'm leaving. He may come back tomorrow, but for that day, when you resist the devil, he flees from you. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus that you are marked with. You know you are marked with the name of Jesus? Do you know that you are? Uh, there is a big mark on your soul that says Jesus? And the devil knows that. And when you use that, when the Christian understands and knows that he or she has the power to truly resist the attacks of the enemy, he knows and understands what that means, and he can't do anything about it, so he turns and runs. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Look at, again, the prophet said, shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into all these containers. It's crazy but I'm going to trust that God knows what He's doing. I'm going to trust that God has a plan. He's got good plans. I trust that. Okay. Look at Psalm chapter 40. The psalmist writes a song here. This is a song that David writes in chapter 40 of Psalms, verses 4 through 5. David sings this, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who become involved in falsehood. Many, the Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts towards us. There is no one to compare with you. There is no one like our God. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Our God is trustworthy. That's what the psalmist David was singing about. His wonders and how mindful he is of you and me. We could sing all day long about those things, but we would never accomplish the totality of the description of our God's faithfulness in a day, two days, a year, three years, all of eternity. We can never accomplish the totality of that description. Why? Because His marvelous works, day in and day out for you and me, are so abundant, they're innumerable. You cannot count them. Fourthly, it's simply rest. It's simply 
rest. When we operate in faithful obedience and trust to the Lord, God will take care of the rest. Do you hear me? When we operate in simple obedience and faith to the Lord, God will take care of the rest. I think that's the very essence of what trust is. It's trusting that I'm going to operate in obedience and faith and know that God has good plans for me. And in return, God takes care of the rest. My hands are off the steering wheel. I know you're thinking Carrie Job right now, but I'm, this is serious. Not Carrie Job. Is that it's uh, Carrie Underwood. I'm a Christian. I don't listen to that secular stuff. Get out of here. Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel. Um, because a lot of us would call it rest, maybe taking a day off work or, or, or maybe uh, going on vacation. But how many of you have gone on a small trip or maybe take, taken a day off work but then just couldn't get your mind off of what you thought you should be doing in that moment to be productive? That's the hecticness of this world. That's kind of why I gave you that in the beginning there. That's how we operate. The same is with our faith. We come to the Psalter if we come. We bring our things to the Lord. And we're supposed to just leave them there. But ultimately what happens is we, we leave them there for a while. And then we pick them back up. That's exactly this. It's uh, the opposite of true rest. It's the opposite of letting God take care of the rest when you've Place your faith and trust in Him and, and begin to obey Him. When you obey God, when you trust God, when you have faith in God, that means you lay these things down at the altar and you let Him take care of the rest, never for you to pick them up again. That's what that means. It's almost an act of disobedience to the Lord. To be an Indian giver. To give to the Lord what is oppressing his child and then to snatch it right back because you can't trust him with it and you trust yourself more than you trust him. You say, Austin, I don't do that. What are you talking about? I don't trust myself more than I trust him. If you've picked something back up off the altar, that's a red flag indicator that you do. That you trust your hands or your ability to take care of the circumstance or situation better than you trust his. So what do you need to lay down at the altar and leave there? If we were all honest, I bet most of us have something we need to lay down at the altar and leave there. When we operate in faithful obedience and trust to the Lord, God will take care of the rest. Look at what the prophet said. He said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. I want to just kind of talk about what that means for just a minute. I'm running out of time. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. Very familiar scripture. The Bible says this, The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. This is Jesus' words. The words in red, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. God will take care of the rest. And when God takes care of the rest, buddy, it's enough. I gave you four things, four action steps but really it's three action steps and a result. You ever heard of the 10-10-80 rule for living financially? You save 10, you tithe 10, 
you live on 80. I want to submit to you today, I suggest we should live on the three to one rule. Our three to God's one. In all reality, God's one will always result to more than our three. God can give way better than we can. If we'll be faithful and obedient to him and trust him, he'll take care of the rest. And boy, it'll always be in abundance. The Bible talks about our father owning the cattle of a thousand hills. I could go on and on about what the Bible says that he owns or has. But I'll skip to this part. You know what the most precious thing that he has ever created is? It's you. It's crazy. At creation. Came down to form man. The angels are present. Maybe. I don't know. This is just speculation. God says, let us make man in our image. And so I'm sure that the beings that had already been created in this time, this is pure speculation, don't just take this with a grain of salt. But I can imagine, maybe, I don't know, the things that had already been created in that moment that had any kind of conscience to what God was doing in this, this time. Almost I wonder, because the Bible says that the angels long to know what salvation is or know what that is, right? And, and so I almost wonder, did they, like, were they there and, and comprehensive in this moment where, like, let us make man in our image, and they're like, ooh, what is man? What is the thing that is going to have the privilege to bear the image of the Creator? Because it wasn't us, right? It's not the, it's not the angels, it's not the trees, it's not the animals. So what will it be? The animals wasn't even created yet, but what will it be? Or maybe the animals were. Uh, sorry. Anyway. And he scoops dirt out of the ground and forms man with his hands. You know what he does next, though? He breathes his breath, the breath of life, into man. So intimate. I don't know if you've taken note of this before, but everything in creation was spoken. Let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then God said, let us make. And he formed man with his hands. And he's still forming man today. Man and woman, if you will. Man, just the general term for humanity. What does the Bible say? God spoke to Jeremiah, says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. He's still doing that same intimate exchange with every human being that ever comes into existence today. You are precious to the Father. And all He, like, let's connect some more dots. We got four minutes. Can I have these four? What does the Bible say? Uh, Lord, help me. I, I had it and then I thought about the four minutes I have left. It's like I knew you before I formed you in my mother's womb. And he's still doing this today. He's so, like, he's enamored by you. This is what I wanted to say. You know where the Bible says, like, he's a jealous God? He is jealous for you. Why is he so jealous for you? Because you bear his image and because he so intimately loves you and cares for you. He's a righteous God and he will judge your sin, but he also loves you. That's why you woke up today. His mercy is more. Read your Bible, folks. It's, it's good. So more than God 
taking care of the rest. Like, it's not just the rest of what God can and will provide for you, but it's also the peace of God and the lifter of your burdens. Look at my favorite verse here, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It goes on from there. This is good. We, we always miss this part. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, help me, rest for your souls. Busy, busy, busy life. Busy. My plate is full. Don't say that because you'll just fill it up more. Full, full, full. Go, go, go. All the time running. Crazy depression, anxiety. Can't get sleep at night. So I scroll on my phone, get more depressed and more anxious. And Jesus says, my yoke is comfortable. and My burden is life. I want to show you something, church. If you're yoked up to this thing more than you are this thing, that's why you're depressed and anxious and, and feel lonely. And, and, and horrible when you go to sleep and wake up. If you're yoked to this thing more than you are this thing, here's your sign, Jeff Foxworthy. I'm just on it. Because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. To be yoked up with the Lord is comfortable. Pull that last verse back up, Rob. My burden is like, my yoke is comfortable. You know what a yoke is? It's that thing that ties two, uh, two animals together so that they can teamwork on a, on a project. They're either pulling a plow or pulling a cart or whatever, right? This is that, that yoke that he's talking about. We're kind of like tied to the Lord. And, and like a normal yoke, could you imagine? Heavy, it's, it's hard, it's rubbing sore spots in you. Like, Literally, farmers would have to do this with their yokes. They would put what we would call today moleskin, except for it was just another piece of leather, which is kind of crazy. The skin from their ancestors or like covering them and helping them. Anyway, that's different. That's a man thing. This man trail that we went off on. We'll talk about it later, Chris, John, all you guys. We'll talk about it. Anyway, they would like put like a moleskin, if you will, on the sore spot, right? So it wouldn't rub sore. Like God's yoke don't do that. Jesus' yoke doesn't do that. The Bible may rub you wrong every now and again, but it's comfortable. Why? Because when you have faith and you operate in obedience and trust the Lord, God takes care of the rest. You don't have to worry about it. God is faithful to take care of the rest. And so we can come to Him when we're burdened. But also we can trust and know that when we're not burdened, He's working all things out for the good of those who love Him. Amen? I want to give you one more thing. Let me give you one more thing to rest in, okay? This is about the oil. Lit me up in my office. I'm going to tell you what, I'm... I'm on cloud nine here. Let me give you this one more thing. It's about the oil. It's not just any random oil, though. And I'm talking about the oil that's here in this section of the Bible, in this uh, passage of Scripture when uh, Elisha goes to this woman. What oil did she have? This was not just any random oil. It was um, olive oil. It was olive oil. Meaning this. This is what blew me away. And it's so simple but so profound. If you don't get it, it's just because you're not opening your ears. 
It's oil. It's olive oil. General, run-of-the-mill olive oil. Everybody had it in their pantry. It's like everybody in it. Surely everyone in this room has salt and pepper in your pantry. As this way with the olive oil. Why? Because the same oil that went into baking the bread is the same oil that the shepherds would use to anoint the heads of the sheep. That Elisha would use to anoint the head of the widow. Let me take it a step further. The same oil that feeds me also feeds the lamp that lights my way. Olive oil was used in the lamps that lit every home and every tabernacle and every other place that needed light. So if the same oil that went into baking the bread is the same oil that anoints my head, and then taking a step further, the same oil that feeds me also feeds the lamps that light my way. Praise the Lord that His Word is the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path, and that His Word is the bread of life, and that His Word anoints my head with oil. It blesses me and restores my soul. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Praise God today through the power of the Holy Spirit and all that God has given me. My cup runs over. I have what I need. I'm living on the rest. All right, family. This has been the very first episode of what we are now calling the Overcome Church Daily Podcast. Every day you're going to receive an episode that will hopefully build your faith, encourage you, and help you to live on the rest. I can't wait to hear the testimonies of what God will do during this time. Love you, church. See you tomorrow.